0: This is a great portion in chapter 2 where the story turns, and Jonah turns. So, read along with me. Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice, for you cast me deep into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this record of this story and the life of Jonah and how you used him. And that it was recorded for our benefit, for our example. That not only have you used him to bring about the repentance of of the Ninevites, a great revival. But you continue to use him, and you have used him throughout the history of your people to um, confront us in our own disobedience, to show us your character and your nature and your compassion and your mercy for sinners such as us. Lord, please guide us as we look at this chapter, as we look at this event as we look at this narrative, direct our thoughts and our hearts. Please direct my words that they would be your words and that you would use them for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, everyone loves a good redemption story. Uh, You can think of the many... um, Movies and books that you probably read about a redemption story, a a turn, um, and and either it's from a a rags to riches type story, or um, sometimes it's the true down and outers those people that maybe the story begins in a prison, or in a slum, or a shack, or on a battlefield, and and, uh, a person's life is turned around. We see the providence of events unfold in their lives, and, and uh, it just gives us hope, it gives us hope. And, um, you know, redemption is, it's written upon our hearts. as what we, even unbelievers, love a good redemption story. And this is what's happening right here in this chapter. It um, also makes us think of conversion stories. Uh, stories of of great repentance and and great conversions, I, and I think in church history of people like uh, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress and and many other things, uh, did great works, and and uh, he didn't have a a good education. Um, he was a wretched sinner, and he um, was foul mouthed and uh, he was he was a uh, a soldier at one point, And uh, in his story, it was uh, like I've heard this story many times. Uh, um, he switched uh, someone, he took, or someone took his guard duty. He had guard duty one night, and, and uh, so he switched out with, with another soldier. And I think um, part of it was he, he went out, um, I think he may, may have went out drinking, but that, that soldier died. And, uh, and he was convicted. I, I don't think that was the exact point, that, but that was part of his conversion story. And, and um, you know, he was, he was a wicked man, and yet God um, converted him, changed him, called him to be a pastor, and he, he suffered as a pastor. He, he um, went to jail for 12 years. He was in jail, and, and essentially he could have um, got out at any time had he just said that he would not preach. And um, yet he stayed in jail. And in that jail, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress and many other great works. Um, Think of John Newton, captain of a slave ship. Um, He as well, um, foul-mouthed sailor, (laughs) drunkard, um, did many evil things, and yet... God saved him, and at one point in his story, um, God um, he he fell off the ship drunk, and and uh, someone thankfully um, rescued him, and he came back, and, and uh, he was uh, soundly converted, and and he um, stayed on that ship and, and stayed as a sailor for some time, and he eventually became a pastor, and he wrote "Amazing Grace." Um, think of uh, other. Um, people. George Mueller is another one. Um, but it, it's not just those conversion stories, though. There, there's stories, and you may know people of, of backsliders, um, people that um, truly are converted, and yet they fall into sin. And they leave the church for some time, and and through a series of events, God grabs a hold of them. He convicts them. He turns them. They, they return, and and there is uh, true repentance. You know, uh, oftentimes we think of, um, in our conservative church culture, we think of, of church discipline and uh, the the times that church discipline is brought on a person. And it's rare that we hear of of people actually responding um, to church discipline and coming back. But we've, I, I've heard a couple stories. Um, of people, years later, coming back. And and just in our previous church, we heard a story about a man several years later. He was church disciplined, and he returned. And and it was, I mean, just to hear, I I didn't meet him. I I didn't know who he was. Just to hear his name, that this man had returned. He had repented. And he came back and just, just about brought tears to my own eyes that the process actually worked, that, this man came back and in a sense, this is what, what's happening in this story in chapter 2 that, that Jonah in the belly of the fish, he, he comes to the end of himself receiving God's discipline for his disobedience and he repents. And yes, later on, there would, it may not have been a perfect repentance because later on there's still some evidences of his Original sin for um, disobeying God's call, but yet he he does repent. It is a true repentance, and, and in looking at this chapter, and his prayer, and, and some theologians might call it say it's a prayer of thanksgiving, and certainly there is thanks for deliverance, but it, it's truly his prayer of repentance, and in this prayer from the belly of the fish, we see six characteristics of his repentance. There's six characteristics throughout this prayer of his repentance. And first and foremost is that Jonah turns to God. Jonah turns to God. And and in the the Hebrew language, uh, the the term for repentance um, quite literally means to turn. The, the word for repentance means to turn. To, to you, you're one way and, and you do a complete 180 and you head the other way. It, it's an action. It's an action that we, we, we turn from our sin and we turn to God. And, and up until this point in the whole narrative, we, Jonah has not spoken to God at all. He's not responded to God. He's um, ignored God. He, he's he's um, turned in on himself. He's tried to avoid and escape God's discipline through the storm, through the sailors, through the ship, um, even thrown into the sea, and even swallowed by the fish. It, it, it says that he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then he prayed. So for three days and three nights, he was in the belly of the fish, and perhaps he was struggling, perhaps he was wondering How how did I get myself to this point? And so he doesn't even repent for three days. And it just shows you the hardness and the obstinance of a sinner's heart. That when we pursue sin, and sin begets sin. And and there is a sense that as we um, pursue sin and as we live it, In sin, the the most dangerous and horrifying thing about sin is it has a blinding effect. It has a blinding effect that we don't really notice the sinfulness of our sin. And it took him three days and three nights to get to the point where he turns to God. But he did turn to God. And and that turning to God begins with prayer. Prayer. It always begins with prayer. Whenever a sinner repents, it begins with prayer. But sometimes the sinner needs to be brought down to the lowest point that they could possibly go. And so it says here in, in verses 1 and 2, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord, Out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. It it was as if he he went down as low as he could possibly go. And and literally, not, not just spiritually, but literally, he went down probably as low as he could go. And that's where he had to go. That's where God had to bring him to his distress and in in the, I guess the, the words of our time, he hit rock bottom and I've, you know, I've done a bit of rehab ministry and, and I've, I've spoken with people in rehab centers and, and, uh, just in evangelism as well. Um, talking to people of, um, addicts of various types of drugs or alcohol and, and, uh, And oftentimes, um, they will find themselves in a rehab center, and and whether they come to faith or not, they they will often say, I hit rock bottom. I hit rock bottom. And so I had to turn, I had to go somewhere. Sometimes that's because the judge, it's court appointed. (laughs) They have to go to rehab, or it's back to jail. And so they, they end up in a rehab center. But... You hear that term, I hit rock bottom. And that's, that's a, in a sense, what, what Jonah is saying here. He's saying he went down to the deep. He went down to rock bottom. He, he was in the belly and, and he, he was brought there. He, he acknowledges what God did to him. He turns to God. Jonah prays. He prays from his distress. And, and then he not only prays, as his first act of repentance, because the, the repentance isn't, it isn't full yet. It begins with prayer, and it continues on through his prayer. But he turns to God, and, and then he says at the end of verse 2, and you heard my voice. So part of his, his turning to God is first and foremost that Jonah prays. Second, that he is praying from his predicament, which he acknowledges as his rock bottom, and third, that he acknowledges that God receives his prayer. And, and he, is, he is writing that, that this, letter, this book is written by Jonah himself. It, it's written after the fact, so there is a sense that this is written in, in the past tense, at, and you heard my voice. He's recounting the, the story of his repentance of what God did to him and his, his discipline But there's also a sense that he's acknowledging that God heard his prayer. God received his prayer. And it's not just that repentance starts with praying to God. But also an understanding that God is the person we need to go to. He's the one that we sinned against. And that he will hear our prayers. So first, Jonah turns to God. Second, Jonah acknowledges the discipline he deserved. Verses 3 to 4. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. He, he acknowledges the discipline that he received. And he acknowledges indeed God's discipline because he says, for you cast me into the deep. There is in a sense that that he ended up in his predicament of his own sin, but he acknowledges God's discipline. And first and foremost, he acknowledged the instruments of God's discipline. That God used the deep. He used the seas. He used the flood, as if it were. Um, Jonah Um, hearkening back to the flood as uh, an instrument of God's judgment upon the whole earth. And then he says, all your waves and your billows, as if um, the waves, the billows, the sea, these are God's. God sent the storm, and so the storm is God's. The, The seas are God's. The flood is God's. The waves and the billows are God's. And they're God's instrument, of discipline on Jonah. And Jonah acknowledges that. He acknowledges the discipline he received. And, and, and that's, a, that's a key aspect of repentance. is not just turning to God and praying to God, but acknowledging the punishment you rightfully deserve for your sins. It's not just enough to plead with God. We we need to name our sin, to acknowledge our sin, and to acknowledge the discipline or the punishment that we deserve for our sin. But he, he not only acknowledges the instruments of God's discipline, he acknowledges the effectiveness of God's discipline. He says, all your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yeah, it's interesting because he was the one that was running away from God. God didn't so much drive him away, but God disciplined him so much so that he, in a sense, fled from the presence of God, but now he was almost away from the presence of God himself because of God's discipline in the deep. In this term, all your waves and your billows passed over me, this is from David's psalm, Psalm 42. This, this psalm that um, is almost, seems as if David writes it as, at, at a low point in his life, may, may, perhaps when he was being, um, chased by Absalom or, or, or Saul. Um, and, and there is a, a sense of despair and depression in that psalm. Um, and it, it may not be so much that David is expressing discipline, but as if he's in the deep. And it's interesting, there are several points within this whole chapter. That there, there are phrases and words that come from not only the Psalter, but from um, the law, from the Torah, from the Old Testament, that is, is coming back to Jonah's mind. Things that certainly a prophet would know about God. And it's almost as if God is reminding himself of who he is, of what he has done in the history of his people. So Jonah acknowledges the effectiveness of God's discipline. But third, he also acknowledges the limits of God's discipline. At the end of verse 4, he says, "'Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple.'" And that's interesting because in the beginning of verse 4, he says, "'I am driven away from your sight.'" As if he'll never see him again, as if he's cast off. But then he says, "'Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple.'" It's almost as if he knows that this discipline has an end. And, and that's true of, in a sense, of all of discipline, and especially of God's discipline, because God's discipline is perfect. And, and it, it, it had the result which God intended, to bring Jonah to repentance, to bring him to the end of himself, to bring him to rock bottom. So first, we see Jonah turns to God. Second, we see Jonah acknowledges the discipline he deserved. And third, we see that Jonah remembers the discipline he received. As he's talking about this in the, in the past tense, he, he's, he's recording this and what happened and what God did to get him back on track. In verse 5 to 6, he says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He remembers the discipline he received. And there's a few aspects of this discipline which he remembers. First and foremost, the magnitude of it. The magnitude, the intensity of this discipline. That the waters closed in over me to take my life, almost as if I had no more hope, no escape. The deep surrounded me; weeds were wrapped about my head. It, and perhaps you know, it makes me think because he was in the belly of the fish, and, and certainly he didn't know how deep he was or where he 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 just knew that he was in the belly of this monster. This fish, this sea monster, and he was going down, and, and it, it makes you think of, you know perhaps you've seen those movies with a submarine, and you hear the, the sonar and the ping, and they're going down and it's quiet, but then if they're going down real deep, you, you hear the creaking. And so, I don't know if a, a fish or whatever, I don't assume that it would creak as it gets deeper and there's pressure, but... Perhaps because the, the fish's body is somewhat flexible that he could feel it closing in on him. And certainly, um, our ears and our, our lungs and everything, that we feel pressure, either when we're going up in elevation or going down in elevation, we feel pressure. And if you swim down deep enough, you feel pressure. So perhaps that's what he felt, that he knew the water's, were closed in over him, that there was no more hope, that the deep surrounded him, and, and that there was weeds wrapped around his head, certainly from what was in the belly of the fish. He, he wasn't alone there in the belly as if um, there was nothing else in the belly of the fish, but there certainly other things that the fish had eaten. And, and you can only imagine the, the, the darkness of it, um, the the stink of it, the smelliness of it uh, as rotting um, uh, vegetation and weeds and, and perhaps other animals, um, stomach acids, all these things, things which he could not see, but he could smell and touch. And certainly there was enough air in there for him to breathe. He did survive three days and three nights and, and, and yes, you can go that long without food and water easily, but he did need air, and so certainly there was some sort of air, some sort of gases, and, and maybe those, those gases those from the stomach acids were noxious. But this all goes to show the, the magnitude of God's discipline. But it also shows the inescapability. Of God's discipline. That, that there, was, there was no getting out of this. There was no escape for him. God had hemmed him, hemmed him in behind and before. There was nowhere he could go. He had, to, he had to make his dealings with God. He had to do business with God, as the old preachers would say. And so God's discipline was perfect. It was perfect. Jonah remembers the magnitude of the discipline. He remembers the inescapability of the discipline. And he remembers the perfection of the discipline. That God is perfect in all his attributes. He's perfect in all he does. And so certainly when he disciplines one of his children, that discipline is perfect as well. That it will bring about the result which he intends that there was no escaping. He says he went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. This is um, hinting at the gates of hell. The gates of Sheol. Barred gates a- a- as if he, he, he was going down into the, into the deep a- and the fish was, was going to deliver him to hell. And those bars, as if the the eternal prison would close in amongst him, and they would be locked shut. But it's interesting because then he says, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. There was still hope. He knew that even in the midst of his discipline, even in the midst of his distress, his despair, that there was still hope. And that was the point, that was the whole point of his discipline, that God would bring him to the point of breaking. That God would bring him to the point that he would have to turn to God. Because God would be his only hope left. That he would remember his disobedience against God. And so first, Jonah turns to God. Second, Jonah acknowledges the discipline he deserved. Third, Jonah remembers the discipline he received, and then fourth, Jonah remembers the Lord's forgiving mercies. Verse six, he says, "Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple." He remembers that God is merciful and and compassionate. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And that he saves sinners and that he hears our prayers. Even for the disobedient prophet, even for the backsliding sinner, even for the prodigal son. God hears. He remembers. And so there's a few things that Jonah remembers about the Lord's forgiving mercies. First and foremost, he remembers the Lord's deliverance. His deliverance. He says that I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. This prison, the the gates of Hades. Almost as if he he was going into hell itself. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, from the pit of hell, O Lord my God. And and there's there's a sense that almost every conversion story, there is... An element of the fear of hell. Of the fear of of being brought down into the bottomless pit, so to speak. uh, Of deep darkness. Of burning. uh, Of something that is inescapable. Of a place where there's no second chances. I I can think of my own conversion and, and during that time there was... Many sleepless nights, many nightmares and dreams of the terrors of hell. And and the the most terrifying thing about hell is that there's no second chances. Once you're there, you're there. And that's it. And this is in a sense what Jonah is is thinking about. These bars closed upon me forever forever. That had he gone there, it would be forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. He knew that there was one recourse, one escape, one path that he could go to. One, um, one person. God himself, the the, the one who put him where he was at, he could go to. And so he remembers his forgiving mercies. He remembers the Lord's deliverance. He remembers the Lord's recall. That the Lord remembered him. Not only did Jonah remember the Lord, but the Lord remembered him. Because part of divine punishment, part of hell, is that you're cast out from the sight of God, so to speak. You're, you're abandoned from God. But Jonah understands that God, in his repentance, remembered him. That the Lord had mercy upon him. That the Lord remembered that he put him there. For a reason. And then he not only remembers the Lord's recall. The Lord's memory of him. But he remembers the Lord's reception. That my prayer came to you. It, it hit its mark. You received it. It, it. it went all the way up into your holy temple. Speaking of the holy of holies in the heavens. It, it, and there's, there's this, all throughout the book of Jonah, there's these extremes of, of um, you know, Jonah disobeys and he goes as far um, away from Nineveh as he can. But um, there's also a sense that he goes as deep as he can in the ship and away from the storm. And, and he goes down and he's going down and further and further into the belly of the fish and into the sea and into the deep. Yet his prayer goes all the way up to heaven. Because Jonah remembers that the Lord is merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he hears our prayers. And he's he's willing to hear the prayer of anyone who seeks him. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, And that's. Not everyone who prays to God, but everybody who prays earnestly with a, with a sincerity of heart of seeking God's forgiveness. So we see that Jonah turns to God. Jonah acknowledges the discipline he deserved. Jonah remembers the discipline he received. Fourth, Jonah remembers the Lord's forgiving mercies. And fifth, Jonah confesses the sinfulness of his sin. Which is, this is the most important aspect of repentance. Is that you would not only confess your sins, but confess the sinfulness of your sin. Verses 8 and 9, he says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And there's several instances in, in, within these two verses in which he shows the sinfulness of his sin. Jonah disobeyed the Lord. He disobeyed the Lord's calling to go to Nineveh to, to preach repentance to that city, to preach the gospel to that city so that that, that city would repent and turn and be saved. He, he disobeyed that calling, went in the opposite direction, And right here in this verse, we have an indicator of why he did that. Because before Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, Jonah was called to be a prophet to the people of Israel. And as we looked at in previous messages, that that Jonah had a ministry. And there's several indications that show that he um, may have enjoyed that ministry. And even as we look further in the book of Jonah, that shows his his pride, his nationalism in, in Israel, that, that he perhaps wanted to remain in Israel. He, he, he was all right with being a prophet so long as he was within the borders of Israel and, and being a prophet to his people. And some... Preachers, some theologians might say that this verse, that he's speaking of the Ninevites and their own idolatry, or maybe of the sailors and their idolatry. But this whole chapter is about Jonah and his repentance. And there there may be some indication of of him speaking about the, the sailors and the Ninevites and unbelievers in general, that general sense that who pay regard to vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love. Because of their idolatry, they they refuse to turn to the one true God and worship Him. But this is about Jonah and his repentance. And and the human heart, as as many have said, and I I think originally the quote is attributed to John Calvin, the, the human heart is a factory of idols. And we just churn out idols and it's either those comforts or pleasures or worldliness or um, things, material possessions, a relationship, a vacation, experiences, whatever the case may be, um, our hearts can churn out idols that we bow down to rather than the one true living God. And so it's quite possible that the vain idols that Jonah is speaking about here were the idols of his own heart, those idols of comfort of being, having a comfortable, comfortable ministry in Israel. Maybe it's the idols of, of nationalism and his own pride of being a Hebrew, an Israelite, that he didn't want to go um, to the nations. He didn't want to go to Nineveh or anybody else outside of Israel. He just wanted to be within the confines of the borders of Israel and his own people. Partiality. Right may have even been the idol of ministry. And, and, and this is, every minister has to um, be on guard against this. That there is um, an idol of ministry. That you have a picture of uh, the certain ministry that you would like to perform. Um, in the place and to the people that you would like to minister to. And, and God, don't, please don't send me those other people. Because I don't want to minister to those people. I, I just have this picture of the people that I want to minister to. Don't send me the difficult people. Don't send me the people that are a mess. Um, don't send me the people that cause me problems. And, and, and please um, keep me in a place that's comfortable. You know, that, that um, I'm not going to be persecuted. That there's no danger that I'm going to be well-paid, that I'm going to be well-liked. Every minister has these temptations. Certainly Jonah had these temptations as well. These vain idols in his heart of of his perception of what ministry would be like. And he he paid regard to these vain idols. And we can see it in his, his, his fleeing from the Lord. And he went so far and, and he didn't even, didn't even respond to the storm or the sailors or the sea or, or even the fish. It, it took him three days and three nights in the belly of the fish before he finally repented. So certainly there's some, there was some idolatry in his heart. And he confesses that in a sense. He confesses that idolatry, but also part of his Um, confession is not only his idolatry, but that his forsaking of God. That he ran from God himself. Had he been worshiping God, he would have been trusting in God and and praying to God and willing to do whatever God wanted him to do. And and in that, in in that attitude, in, in that outlook, comes the peace that surpasses all understanding. As we um, seek to do God's will and as we pray to God, though our circumstances may not be what, they, what we want them to be, there is a peace. Uh, uh, as Isaiah says, He whose mind is stayed on you, it, it, there's perfect peace. There's perfect peace. There's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And from the outside world, from people outside of us, they, they would look at our circumstances and and, and may say, I don't know how you're content or how you're happy because it, it, it may look like your life is a mess or, or you're being persecuted or what, whatever it may be, but if our mind is stayed on the Lord, if we're within the Lord's will and, and we're seeking to do His will, there is that peace because we're, in a sense, worshiping Him. And, and this is... This is an aspect of sin and idolatry. Is, in Jeremiah, it says, um, God says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fount of living waters, and hewed out for themselves cisterns, which do not hold water. That, that sin always starts with a forsaking of God, a, a, a turning away from God and turning towards the sin or the idol, that we believe will fulfill us. There was, there was something within um, the idea of fleeing to Tarshish. Something in, in, in the thought of Tarshish itself that appealed to Jonah. That, that promised fulfillment to Jonah. That he forsook God and fled. And, and, and what he fled to was some sort of idol that comfort. Um, that pleasure, that ease that he didn't believe he would get in following the Lord's command. And so he, he confesses the sinfulness of sin in his idolatry, in his forsaking of God. And then thirdly, in his dereliction of duty. His dereliction of duty. Because he says, what I have vowed, I will pay. There was vows that, that Jonah made to the Lord. And we, we don't know specifically those vows, but he says, that I, well, I have vowed, I will pay. So certainly there was vows. And those vows could have been the, the, the vow of um, just being a, a Hebrew, an Israelite, in the law that he was supposed to live in such a way that he would be a witness to the world. That Israel was to be a witness nation. They, they were to follow God's law and so, so long as they follow God's law to the letter, God would bless them. And the nations would see the greatness of God. And, and we get a picture of what Israel was supposed to be like in, in, the, in the first few years of Solomon's reign. That they're, they're doing what God had intended and, and because of the wisdom of Solomon, they're being blessed. And and the nations are coming. And they're coming to Israel and they're saying, tell us about your God. And so first and foremost, there's a vow within the law that all Israelites were to keep. So perhaps that that was the vow that that he um, forsook and now he says he will pay it. But there's also the vow of a prophet. The vow of a prophet and the prophetic call that that as God calls His prophets, they are to go and they are to speak what He puts the words that He puts in their mind and, and that issues out from their mouth. That they are to speak His words and no other words. And even within the law, there is provisions for testing whether or not a prophet is false or true. That if the words that He speaks come true, then he is a true prophet of God, and if not, he is to be stoned. And so there, there's a, a vow of the prophetic office, of, of the prophetic calling, which he turned from. He forsook. He was uh, derelict in his duty. But then there's also that specific vow of going to Nineveh, that God gave him specific commands to go to Nineveh. And so part of repentance is not just that we would turn away from our sin, which we have sought after, which we have um, sought pleasure in and fulfillment in, but that we would turn to God and turn to His um, commands and um, striving after obedience and, and following Him and honoring Him. And so repentance involves a turning from. But it also involves a turning to. And so this is what Jonah says that those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, um, uh, admitting that what he was seeking after was vanity. Vanity of vanities, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, that it's empty, it, it will not fulfill me. There, They're dumb idols. Even though they may not have been physical idols that I have fashioned, they were idols of my heart. They were deceptions, and they were vanity. And in chasing after those idols, I forsook my hope of steadfast love. But God's love is steadfast. And He never forgets. And whoever He... um, deems to cast his love upon, that, that love never fails. And that love is indicated by Jonah's discipline itself. As, as God says, he whom I love, I discipline. He disciplines his children. And so in that was the hope. And, and I think that was part of the hope that turned um, Jonah back to God. That Because he could clearly see that it was um, God's discipline. Though he was obstinate, and though he um, continued to run, and, and though it took three days within the belly of the fish, he knew it was God's discipline. And because it was God's discipline, he knew that God still loved him. And God is merciful and will receive his confession, will receive his repentance. So he turns to God and he says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. The sacrifice isn't um, the burnt offerings or the bulls or, or the animals. It's himself. That he would, as Jesus calls us to do, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow God. That was part and parcel of the prophetic calling. You don't get to decide where God sends you or what message God gives you to tell. You just go and you speak. And so he was willing to sacrifice those comforts, those pleasures, those vain idols which he had bowed down to and to um, pay what he had vowed. So... Jonah turns from God, he or turns to God in his repentance. He acknowledges the discipline he deserved. Jonah remembers the discipline he received. Fourth, Jonah remembers the Lord's forgiving mercies. Fifth, Jonah confesses the sinfulness of his sin. And then sixth, Jonah receives the Lord's forgiving mercies right at the point of his repentance. When his repentance is fully realized, because it doesn't just begin with um, his prayer as he turns and, oh God, I sinned, I'm sorry, please forgive me. No, he he names the sin. He names the sin, he names the discipline that came as a result of his sin. He, he, he pours out his heart in his distress and his despair, he sincerely seeks after the Lord. He acknowledges the character of, Lord, of the Lord in His steadfast love and, and in His salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord, meaning that, that the Lord will save whomever He pleases to save. He will have mercy upon whom He has mercy and He will have compassion upon whom He has compassion. And all throughout God's Word, we, we can see some... some Wicked, wicked sinners. Manasseh, Nebuchadnezzar, many others. Paul persecuted the church himself. And then he was used by God to build the church. Salvation belongs to the Lord and he will save whom he deems he will save. And none of us deserves his salvation. None of us deserves his mercy. His mercy, his grace is a free gift. And as we have freely received that gift, we are to freely proclaim that gift to others. And so here, when Jonah's repentance is complete, in that proclamation that salvation belongs to the Lord, he then receives the Lord's forgiving mercies. Verse 10 And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. His discipline was terminated, first and foremost. His forgiving mercies begin with the termination of Jonah's discipline. That just as God spoke the universe into existence, he speaks to the fish, and the fish obeys. And it vomits him out. And so part of the Lord's forgiving mercies is that his discipline was terminated. His life is restored as he thought that his life was, was uh, passing away, was fainting away. Jonah's life is restored. There's, there's hope as he's vomited out upon dry land. There's land. There's fresh air. There's sunshine. There's hope that he will live, and and not only that, but hope that um, the Lord will again have favor upon him as he seeks to obey the Lord in his calling. His life is restored. And most importantly, thirdly, his relationship is restored. His relationship with the Lord is restored. And yes, later on we will read um, how the the Lord has to confront Jonah again in his sin of partiality and his obstinance. But here, and for the most part, Jonah's relationship with the Lord is restored. Which, that is the most important aspect of repentance. Is that we have a right relationship with God. And it's interesting because all throughout this whole um, chapter, I can't help but think about a parent disciplining a child. And, and the steps are the same. The steps are the same. That, that there, there is to be um, swift and judicial and um, uh, right discipline, that that discipline should match. The, the transgression or the crime, um, that we're, we're not to be overbearing or to be um, flippant or trite, but that that discipline will match the transgression, and that discipline should produce repentance, confession in the child, a brokenness, and we see that brokenness when the child acknowledges the discipline and acknowledges the sin that they sinned, that they committed, and cries out to the parent for deliverance. And that deliverance, that reconciliation with the parent is realized once that discipline is terminated. And the relationship is then restored. And as I I said in the beginning of this series, and we'll see throughout the rest, that um, in many ways, Jonah, the book of Jonah, is about us. It's about us as sinners. Because if you don't see yourself in this narrative of Jonah, I don't think you're looking at yourself honestly. Because this is true of us. Every time we disobey the Lord, every time we run after vain idols, we are turning away from God. We forsake our hope of steadfast love. We we, um, ruin that relationship. or Not so much ruin, but we mar it. And, And... God needs to discipline us. He needs to confront us. He needs to convict us of our sins so that we will, in a sense, hit that rock bottom and see the the vanity of vanities of the idols that we have chased after and that we would turn to Him. That we would see that obedience brings joy and blessing. That no matter how hard it is to obey a command from God, that we know that In obeying that, there will be that clear conscience. And yes, we still have our sinful flesh that pulls back at us, that that wants to chase after those vain idols. But we remember the Lord's mercies. We remember that He is forgiving, that He is kind, that He is just, that He is loving. And He is full of compassion. And and another thing to recognize in, in, in that that analogy of the parent and the child and the discipline is that the parent is all, always more willing to receive the child's confession and um, their repentance than the child is willing to to say it or to repent. The, the, the parent is, is more than willing to forgive. They want to forgive. They want to heal that relationship, but they must discipline the child for the child's own benefit. So God is is more than willing to receive us. He's more than willing to um, forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to save us. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Just come. But in coming, we must leave behind our idols. We must leave behind our sin. And that's the lesson for us. What sin is there? What vain idols are we chasing after? What do we need to repent from and leave behind and, and to do it before the Lord sends his discipline upon us because if we are his children he will discipline us but what's even more scary is if um, we are not his children there's that punishment that is everlasting waiting for us that is inescapable and it's a perfect punishment in hell as As Jesus says, He will will judge us for every careless word. As Solomon says, He will bring every act into judgment. He will punish every sin. And that that sin is either punished at the cross in Christ on our behalf, or or it's punished in us in hell forever. And so the call of repentance goes to all mankind. To repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And if we are saved, we, that call of repentance is still there. That we would continue to repent from our sins that we still harbor, that we still commit. And continue to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and come to him for forgiveness and for cleansing. And so we come to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done. <clears throat> in and through Jonah, in the life of Jonah and his repentance, in in the revival of the Ninevites. And certainly, Lord, you know there are are people in our lives, there are are perhaps people, groups, and nations which we despise. There there may even be peoples in our community, either of a certain um, ethnicity or social class or a certain occupation, gender or... Whatever, that we despise, that that we would not want to be saved because there's that partiality within us. Lord, remind us that that we are no better than any other sinner. And it's only because of your mercy and your grace that we have been saved. And, And not because of anything we have done, could do, or will do, but for your glory. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy upon us. We thank you for your gift of salvation, for rescuing us from our vain idols. Lord, help us to take this message of grace to others that need it and to call them to repentance and faith. For your glory, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.